Happy day, Southfield Church. Good morning. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being here on time. That's big. You get the maximum efficiency of the next hour. I want to encourage you not to waste this hour by being lost in your thoughts somewhere else. I know exactly how that goes. We've come to center God on our lives and to enjoy the voices around us and the presence of the people around us this morning. Jesus said in Matthew 7 that there are two ways to live this life. doesn't matter where you're from. doesn't matter what your job is or what street you live in, live on, or what size house or how many people are in your family. Jesus says there's two ways to live this life. You take a very broad, easy path, and you take a very narrow road that's hard to walk. The wide highway leads to destruction. The narrow road leads to life. It takes focus and determination and still a huge dependency on God's mercy to be able to walk the narrow road that He calls us on. As we sing, we choose to look past the difficulty and engage with the point where it leads. Jesus, we turn our hearts and our eyes to you as we walk the road that often seems so narrow that you call us on. May we always lean on your mercy and your grace. Walk the way you've called us. Jesus, we come before you as people who are grateful and appreciative to have been called on the journey that you have called us on. We know it's a narrow road because that's what you've called it. We know it's a narrow road because we've experienced it many times. But as we walk, we pray for the grace to remember that the riches of your love will always be enough. And nothing can compare to the grace that you give people like us. As we spend this morning, Lord, concentrating on your presence and enjoying the presence of the people around us, I pray that you continue to change us. We're listening for your words, and our hearts are open. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Once again, thank you for being here uh, this morning. Uh, We're continuing through a series all about Lent, and I've really enjoyed this. I know many of you are, and um, as we continue through our understanding of how to spend this season, um, we're going to have the chance to concentrate a little bit about where our identity falls and uh, the presence of God living inside of us. And uh, the biblical truths about, um, there's just such a radical difference between the seasons when we concentrate on that and the seasons that we forget that. Uh, so as we prepare, for ourself, prepare ourselves for that, what I'd like to do is I'd like to open us in prayer, and then Dennis is going to take it away. Father God, this morning as we continue in this teaching, Lord, and uh, we seek to hear your voice through your word, Lord, I'd, I'd pray for Dennis that he'll be able to speak what's on Uh, what you've laid on his heart. And I pray uh, for deeper understandings for all of us, Lord. We don't want to be the same as we were a year ago and two months ago and two weeks ago. Always changing because of you. In your name we pray. Amen. Glad you're here this morning. As you walked in, you received a folder and it looked a little different than normal. Maybe you noticed that. Maybe it's too dark to notice it. 
It's on speckly paper, and you're thinking, oh, they're getting fancy. No, we're actually using up paper that came from the old building. So we're just being a little bit frugal, trying to use some stuff up, and so save a little money here and there. It can never hurt. On the inside of that folder, you find a card, and the card has a space for your name. You'll want to put your name on that right now. Uh, we have some questions we're going to be asking you at the end of the service that will apply, and, and you'll be able to re- uh, relay to us the, the areas in which, in which you plan on doing some growing. If it's your first time with us, you can put as much information on the card as you're comfortable placing on it, and on your way out, there's a table just outside the door, a book on there by Andy Stanley called How Good is Good Enough, and we'd love for you to take one of those uh, as our gift, a way of just being able to say thanks to you for coming in and being a part of uh, this morning at Southfield. So we've done this enough times now during this season that we're just going to jump right into the questions. Are you ready? Here we go. How would you respond if Jesus asked you, what are we? What's going on between us, between you and me? He's looking you in the eye right now and he asks you that question. So what are we? He looks at you, says, hey, are we just friends? Or is there something more happening here? Something deeper? Something real, something meaningful. What's your response? He he looks at you and says, when my father asks me what's going on between us, what do you want me to tell him? What's the response? What should I say to other people about how you feel about me? Or he just says it. I need to know where this relationship is headed, and I need to know now. How would you define the relationship? Is your definition kind of a, well, Jesus is really nice. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to have him as, as part of my life. I, I enjoy this whole church thing that kind of works out. That, that, that's a good thing. Or is there something much deeper, something much more real, a true relationship going on with God through Jesus? As we've been talking Uh, We talk about the fact that we are forgiven. That's part of our identity, part of the way God defines our relationship. I can look to him and say, I know that my sins are forgiven. And because my sins are forgiven, I have a clear relationship with God, and I'll spend eternity with him. I'm forgiven. We talked about the fact that if you're a Christ, if if you uh, have a relationship with God, you should be following Christ growing in full devotion to him. Every day, there's some other area, I promise, that you're saying, you know what? This is another area I need to surrender. This is another area I need to give Jesus full control of me. And last week, we looked, talked about what it means to be a, a friend to God. Not to have God be our friend, but what does it mean for us to actually befriend him, to be a good friend to God? And that's how we're using this season, these 40 days, to define our relationship, to to go a little deeper and say, where do I stand with Jesus? I want to show you a a series of images, images. Now, I want you to I want you to think for a moment about the last time you had this kind of an experience. When's the last time that you were you were dry? I mean, you were just so parched that your tongue was clinging to the roof of your mouth. You just, oh, man. So you you felt wilted. Maybe you were even getting a little bit delirious because you were just, you were so dried out. You couldn't stand it. You thought, if I could just have one or two drops of water, I would be refreshed. You felt that dry. 
How about this one? When's the last time you were just, you were super uber hungry? I mean, you for some reason skip breakfast, you skip lunch, it's six o'clock at night, and, and your stomach is talking a language of its own. And, and your head is hurting, you got that, that headache going, and, and, and oh, your stomach feels like it's squishing into a tiny little ball, it's cramping up, and you're like, oh, I'm so hungry. You're so hungry that if somebody gave you a can of this stuff, you'd gobble it up. I don't know what that is, but it looks nasty. looks like something the kitty would eat. But, you know, you're that hungry. You're that hungry that you're saying, anything, just give it to me. I'm starving. When's the last time you felt bloated? That was a tough image to come up with. Don't type bloated into Google. I have images burned in my brain that will never, ever go away. Ugh. When's the last time that you ate and ate and ate and ate? And you know what? You didn't even necessarily eat good stuff. You, you plowed down the whole bag of crunchers, complete with dip, couple of Cokes, and you're just, you can feel this expansion going on. It's, you're just blowing up. You, you don't want to try on those tight shorts because you know they're not going on. I mean, you're just, you're bloated and you feel miserable. Oh, you can't stand it. How about this one? When's the last time you just felt content? You had just enough. One more bite would have been too much. One last bite would have been too little. You just hit it perfect. And you ate really good stuff. And you walk away going, that was a great meal. And it's now time for me to grab my teddy bear and just take a nice nap. You know, just relax and ah. Wouldn't that be great? Every one of these images for us have a spiritual correlation. In us, we should all have some spiritual thirst. Some spiritual thirst that Jesus says only he can satisfy. Hopefully you have found or do find your place at a spiritual star, a place of spiritual starvation where only Jesus, the bread of heaven, can feed your soul. Sadly, there have been times for all of us that we've felt spiritually bloated, where we thought we were filling ourselves, and we were filling ourselves. That's the problem. God wasn't filling us. We were filling ourselves, and we were filling ourselves with spiritual junk. And we came to a point that we said, you know what, I'm not real hungry anymore, but I sure don't feel satisfied either. I feel disgusting. I can't stand it. And then there are those times and we just say, I am so spiritually content. This is, this is life at its optimum. This is the way it's supposed to be. I feel full. I feel complete. I feel satisfied. You know, Jesus said that's what he wants for us. He said the thief, and he's, you know, he's talking about Satan. He's talking about someone that wants to steal your joy, steal your life. The thief only comes to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. Have it to the full. I mean, Jesus' desire for you is contentment. It is satisfaction. It's, it's at a point that you can say, say I have enough. I, I'm, I'm in a great spot. This is the way life was meant to be. Our, our definition of the relationship today, if Jesus were looking us in the eyes, we should be able to say to him, I am filled. I am I'm filled. I, I feel complete and satisfied and content. I am 
filled. So let's flip it. Am I filled? Are you filled today? Are you hungry? Are you thirsty? Are you bloated? Or are you satisfied? Are you, are you at a point with the Spirit of God that you're just saying, this is where I'm supposed to be living. This is what it's like to be filled. The obvious opposite of being full is to be empty. But I think there's some other opposites as well. Sometimes when we're not filled, we're frustrated. Life just isn't going right, and we're, we're trying to make it work. Sometimes we have a sense of a lack of fulfillment, like our purpose is just not being met. Sometimes it just seems that we're, we're forcing things to happen. We're, we're, we're trying and trying, and before you know it, whatever we're trying to force snaps, it breaks. Ask yourself the question today, am I filled? Because that's what Jesus wants for you. I have come to give them life and give it to the full. Jesus talks about this fullness that he wants us to experience. And one of the things that he told us very clearly is we cannot be filled until he leaves. He told his disciples, you cannot experience the fullness I intend for you until I leave this earth. The, the, the fullness of John 10.10 10 could not be realized until he died was buried, rose again, and ascended back to his Father. I mean, it would be great. It would be wonderful if Jesus were alive physically here on this earth today. We wouldn't have to ask for explanations of the Bible. We'd have the guy who wrote the Bible right there. Come on, help us. Show us the way. Tell us what's going on. But Jesus said, no, in order for you to experience fullness... I have to leave. He, he told his disciples this in John chapter 16. He says, but in fact, it is best for you that I go away, because if I don't go, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. Now, the advocate there is a reference to the Holy Spirit. And the Greek word used there is paraclete. And I can tell you there is no perfect English word that translates over to paraclete. You know how you know that in part? Look at all the different words used in all the different translations of the Bible. For a lot of you, you're used to the word comforter being there or some other word other than advocate. Here are some of the, some of the things that that term can mean. There's, like I said, no single adequate term. It could be advocate, advisor, ally. He's our comforter in the sense of the one that strengthens us. He's our counselor. He's our helper. He's our supporter. All of these terms fill the meaning of the word paraclete. And Jesus says, I want to send this spirit to you so that you have an advocate, so that he can advise you and teach you, so that you have an ally and a friend, so that you can be comforted and receive strength, so that you have a counselor and a helper and a supporter. In John chapter 14 Jesus again talked about this advocate, and he says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads you in all truth. Interesting that he says another advocate. You know why? Because at that point, he was their advocate, and he is our advocate. He is. Jesus is our paraclete as well. And he says, and I'm going to send another. I'm going to send the Spirit. And one of the things he says that Spirit will do is guide you in truth. You're not sure what truth and what falsehood is? The Spirit's job is to help us to understand that. 
In John chapter 14, Jesus continues to talk about the advocate. He says, I'm telling you these things now while I'm still with you, but when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, and he defines it, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. Jesus intended that we be filled. And part of the filling that he was referring to is that you would be filled with the Holy Spirit. Every person at the point that they, that they accept Christ as their forgiver and leader also has something happen that they don't even realize. The Spirit comes in and dwells in you. You officially become a residing place of the Holy Spirit. And everywhere you go, you take the Holy Spirit with you. So if you're a believer in Christ, the Spirit is in you right now. He indwells you. Now the question is, the Spirit is indwelling you, but is He filling you? Because there's a difference between having the Spirit take up residence and, on the other hand, the Spirit truly take control of our lives. It's not that He just wants to have a house to live in. He wants to fill the house. So what does this kind of fullness look like? When we refer to this this fullness, when I say, I am filled, what does it look like? You know, some of the last words of Jesus on earth are recorded in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He says to his disciples, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That includes Canada. The whole thing. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. I mean, this is it. These are his last words. He's saying, this is, this is what I want for you. He says, the Spirit is going to come. And here's what the Spirit's going to do when the Spirit is in you. He's going to give you two things, two words connected to the Spirit. He's going to give you power and he's going to give you purpose. You're going to receive power and you're going to receive purpose. You'll receive the power and you'll realize the purpose for which you exist. That's what Jesus wanted for us. Uh, unfortunately, sometimes when there are references to the filling of the Spirit, people talk about it as if it's some, some thing that's in them for them. I'm filled for my purposes. But God says, no, I'm filling you with the Spirit for my purposes, for God's purposes. So he fills us with power to do the things he wants us to do. And one of the things here was to make sure ultimately that the whole world knows about who God is and how people can have a relationship with him. Let's dive into this a little bit deeper. I want you to see Acts chapter 4. You can look at it in the Bible or we'll go along on the slides. Acts chapter 4 is an example of what it looked like for Peter and John to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Remember, the Spirit comes in Acts chapter 2. He comes on the, the people assembled in a room with a flame of fire, and they're filled at that point with the Holy Spirit. And some, some wild things happen. And ultimately, at the end of the chapter, you see the, the, the church operating in such a way that they're living in the unity of the Spirit. Acts chapter 4 begins by saying, while Peter and John were speaking to the people, they're speaking to the crowd, they're confronted by the priests, the captain of the temple guard, and some of the Sadducees. These leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus there is a resurrection of the dead. Now the Sadducees didn't believe there was a resurrection at all. But they're also pretty tech that they're still talking about Jesus. We killed him, he's gone. Why is this conversation still taking place? 
Verse 3, they arrested them, and since it was already evening, put them in jail until morning. Now, a little sidebar here by, by our author, Luke. But many of the people who heard their message believed it. So the number of the believers now totaled about 5,000 men, not counting women and children. From Acts 2 to Acts 4, were already over 5,000 people. And including women and children, uh, we're well past 10,000. The church is growing like wildfire. Why? Because the Spirit empowered them to fulfill the purpose they had given them. Look at verse 5. The next day, the council of the rulers and elders and teachers of the religious law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, along with Caiaphas. You remember that name from the killing of Jesus. John, Alexander, other relatives of the high priest. They brought the two disciples and demanded, By what power or in whose name have you done this? That word power is not a mistake there. Now, in part, they're talking about authority. Authority is a piece of power, right? Jesus said, I have authority, and now I'm going to give you authority to speak the gospel through the world. Look at verse 8. It says, then Peter, don't miss this part, filled with the Holy Spirit. He's he's got the Spirit not only living in him, but controlling him, empowering him, giving him purpose. He said to them, rulers and elders of the people, we're being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man. Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. I mean, he he just gets right to it, doesn't he? And then this incredibly bold verse. He's talking to Jewish leaders who kind of really don't like the Jesus concept, okay? There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. This is Peter who, not too long before, is saying, I don't know who Jesus is. Get away from me, little girl. Go talk to someone else. Denying him with a curse. And now he's saying, there's no other way under heaven. To Jewish leaders who could make sure that his life is snuffed out, or at least he spends the rest of it in prison. There is no other name on earth by which we must be saved. Now comes this amazing verse. This is what filling looks like. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. I mean, just think about that. Their enemies were amazed. For they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the strict scriptures. And they also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. They were recognized as people who had lived in the presence of God. And that had left a mark, a very serious mark, an unmistakable mark. And I love verse 14. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing right there among them, there was nothing else the council could say. I mean, what did they say? No, you didn't heal him. Yes, we did. No, you didn't. Yes, we did. No, I mean, he's healed. Obviously, God in the power of his spirit had healed this man. You jump down a little further in the passage in verse 23. It says, as soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leaders, leading priests and elders had said. When they heard their report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer. And again, this is part of how do we remain connected with the spirit? Not just a dear heavenly father, thank you for this food in Jesus name. Amen. Prayer. They were living in prayer. They were praying constantly. Verse 31, after this prayer, the meeting place shook and they were filled with the Holy Spirit 
and they preached the word of God with boldness. I suspect this is a day you would have been bum-missing church. What happened at church today? Well, there are big cracks in the floor now at CJHS. The room was shaken. And we have a boldness now that we didn't have before. There is a power in us that we didn't have before. We have a purpose now that we didn't understand before. And then he goes on and ends the chapter again with one of these descriptions of what this new community looked like. United in heart and mind, sharing all they had. A a unity in the Spirit that humans can't realize apart from the Spirit. This fullness is about a power that only comes from God so that we can live out the purpose that only He can give us. Now, you may be to that point that you're asking, what does it take to be filled? I want to be filled. What does it take to be filled? I'm going to put this to you in the form of three questions. Three questions, because again, we're doing this DTR. We're trying to examine our relationship with God. Jesus is looking us in the eyes right now, and he's asking, so where where does your relationship stand? Where are you? So let's imagine him asking us these three questions. Here's the first. Are you weak enough to be filled? Are you weak enough to be filled? Our culture values strength. I don't know that there's ever been a culture that doesn't value strength, but our culture really values strength. You're going to hire somebody, you want to know what their strengths are. You want to know what what talents do they bring to the table, what what experiences do they have. Many of us have probably gone through a book something like this, Strength Finders 2.0. Discover your, your top five strengths and then live and operate within the zone of the strengths that God has given you. Paul, Jesus, others say, yes, your strengths are interesting. I just can't use them. That's not what I'm after. Spiritually, the Apostle Paul says, I should be admiring my weaknesses. Because I recognize that it's in my spot of weakness that the Spirit's filling has a chance to really operate. John 15, 5, a verse that you should just, If not anything else, the last line, take it in and memorize it. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Nobody goes and cuts a branch off a tree and says, hmm, now that's going to grow really well. The branch laying on the ground, that is. We recognize that once you're separated from the tree, the branch dies. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus is saying, recognize your weakness. You can't do this on your own. And then we have this verse from the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, where he's talking about his own weakness. He says, I I beg God three times to take it away. Each time he said to me, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. Do you believe that? I mean, I want you to zero in on your weakness right now. It won't be hard. If you can't think of one, you're proud. There's yours. What, you know, what, what's your weakness? Where is it? Can you believe that that's, that's actually what God's saying? That's what's most usable about you. I mean, you thought it was what the results of the book. No, it's your brokenness. It's your area of weakness that God says that's the piece that I find most fillable. That's the area that I can bring the most power to bear. 
That's the area where we can really get some things done. Do you see that your weakness, the thing you hate, the thing you can't stand, the thing you keep saying, God, take this away from me, your weakness is God's greatest area of potential to use you. So, are you weak enough to be filled? The second question Jesus would ask is, are you clean enough to be filled? Now, to keep this in W's, I was tempted to use the word worthy, but worthy would be an unworthy term. Worthy implies that we're deserving of filling, and none of us is worthy. Even when we're clean, we're not worthy. Uh, It's Jesus who does the choosing of us to do what he wants us to do. But lack of cleanliness inhibits or blocks the Spirit's power. When I'm living in a state of sin, it inhibits or it blocks the Spirit from powerfully working within me. Look at this verse in Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 30 says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. There are two concepts equated, uh, attributed to the Spirit. We'll look at them both. One is to grieve the Spirit, and the other is to quench the Spirit. Let's look at grieve first. When I'm looking at a verse like this, one of the, one of the things that I do in studying is ask myself, what other word would I put in that place? What else could I have put there? Uh, do not anger the Spirit of God. Do not enrage the Spirit of God. Do, do not frustrate the Spirit of God. What does he say? Do not grieve. Don't grieve the Spirit of God. The word there implies that our sin causes the Spirit pain. It gives him offense. It rises up from within him a deep groan. If you're a parent of a child, there are probably times that you have grieved over your child's decision. You wanted to be angry, but what you really did was went, oh, oh, why? Why did you do that? There are times that when we choose to live a life of deliberate sin, it just grieves. It grieves the Spirit of God. Now, we've had a group going on Sunday nights talking about studying the Bible, and by now they've heard you always got to look at a verse in its context. Look at the paragraph. What's going on in the paragraph? Well, this is the paragraph where where Paul talks about not letting unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, not being bitter, full of rage, anger, brawling, slander. He says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. And in the middle of all that, he says, don't grieve the Spirit. There's a lot of relational stuff there, and he's basically saying, keep your relationships with other people going well, because that's a spirit griever when we don't. When we choose to live in deliberate sin, we grieve the Spirit of God. God has some very clear statements to make on how we're supposed to live sexually. And when we live opposite of that, we grieve the Spirit of God. When we live a lie, when we're a nonstop gossip, we grieve the Spirit of God. Uh, Look at Ephesians 5.18. I mean, clear correlation here. He says, don't get drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, some of you are looking and going and saying, well, I'm so glad he said wine and not Jack Daniels. No, this... It included it all, okay? Wine, it included anything that would basically take control of your life. Because when a substance has control of your life, the spirit doesn't have control of your life. He says the spirit should have the driving wheel. Not Jack Daniels or Jim Beam or anyone else. The spirit is the one that's supposed to be controlling your life. When I choose to do what displeases the Spirit. 
It grieves him. It blocks the spirit's freedom to work in my life. So are you weak enough? Are you clean enough? And then the third, are you willing to be filled? Are you willing to be filled? Now I'm going to take this in a little direction, different direction than you might think. I want to talk about this verse right here. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says, Do not quench the spirit. Do not quench the spirit. A couple other versions put it this way. Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Or another one says, do not put out the Spirit's fire. Throughout the Word of God, the Spirit is referred to as a flame. That's, that's part of the image that's given of the Spirit of God, a flame or a fire. There's this blaze going. Uh, good things are happening. Progress is being made in our lives. And he says, don't put it out. Don't smother it. Don't stifle it. Don't stop it. Let the Spirit have the freedom to do what the Spirit wants to do. But sometimes we say, I'd rather do what I want to do. And we stop listening to the Spirit's direction. Let me show you the basic difference between grieving and quenching. When I grieve the Spirit, I choose to do what displeases the Spirit. In other words, I live in overt sin. I just say, I want to do the wrong thing, and I'm going to do the wrong thing. When I quench the Spirit, I choose not to do what pleases the Spirit. You see the difference? In a sense, one is the sin of commission, and the other is the sin of omission. One is, I deliberately choose to do wrong, and the other is, I choose to not do right. Sometimes you know the right thing to do and you just drive by or you just walk by. Instead of saying, the Spirit said I'm supposed to do this, I'm going to jump in on this. And, and here's the thing with the Spirit. When we ignore His voice often enough, eventually He says, I'm going to stop talking until you want to hear what I have to say. But I'm not just going to keep blabbering for the sake of it. So whether it is a direct command of the Word of God or it is a prompting of the Spirit in your heart, if you decide to ignore those things, to not do what pleases Him, eventually He says, hey, I live here, but obviously you want control. Obviously you want to be in charge. And until you're ready, uh, here's where we are. Are you weak enough? Are you clean enough? Are you willing? Galatians 5.25, great verse. Since we are living by the Spirit, let's follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. No matter what's going on, let's follow the Spirit's leading. Another translation puts it this way. Since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. Let's, let's walk along with him. Let's do what he desires. We follow his leadings, his direct commands, his subtle promptings. Unfortunately for a lot of us, when it comes to this question of being full, what we have to answer is, I don't feel very full right now. In fact, just the opposite. I'm running on empty. I'm running on empty. Uh, remember what Jesus' ideal for you is. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. That's what Jesus wants for you. So, it comes down to this. What has you running on empty? Why are you running on empty? Why is it not working? I'm going to to suggest four things, and they relate to your card. So go ahead and take your card out right now. Put it on, turn it over to the back. They're worded a little differently on the screen than on your card, hopefully to just give a different emphasis. The first one is this question. Am I doing life in my own strength? I've been doing it my own way. 
I've been I've been deciding I can handle this. And Jesus is saying, apart from me, you can do nothing. And you say, well, apart from the big things, I can do nothing. No, apart from me, you can do nothing. It's part of the reason you're running on empty right now, because you still believe that even though the spirit's living in you, you're in control. Or are you willing to say, I can't do this in my own strength? Here's the second You've been self-filling, but you're finding it unsatisfying. You know you're, you're built to be filled, and you've been taking in all kinds of spiritual junk food. You've been taking in things that you know don't belong in the life of a believer, and you keep stuffing and stuffing and stuffing, and you're bloated, but you're not satisfied. You have a lack of fullness. Uh, the second box says, I've been trying to fill myself rather than being filled. How about the third I've been setting up a spiritual blockade by doing what the Spirit condemns. The Spirit says, don't. I say, so what? It's what I want to do. I don't care what the Bible says. I'm going to live the way I want to live. Or another way, I've been grieving the Spirit instead of pleasing the Spirit. The final, I've been throwing water on the Spirit's flame by opting to ignore His direction. Again, we know the good things we're supposed to do. And we just say, I don't want to. We're not sinning overtly. We're sinning by omission. We're saying, I just don't want to do what the Spirit wants me to do. I've been opting to ignore the Spirit's leading. Maybe there's one that weighs in for you. Maybe you're checking off every one. I don't know. But as you're working through this identity thing today, um, you have to ask the question, am I filled? Am I filled? And if you're not, it's related to something you see on that screen. It's related to something you see on that card. And honestly, folks, it's not that hard to get to the place of fullness. Stop operating in your own strength. Let God be the one to provide the strength. Stop looking to the world to fill your emptiness. Look to God to fill your emptiness. Stop doing wrong things. Start doing right things. And the Spirit will take over. A lot of times when people are talking about this whole issue of the Holy Spirit, uh, they'll make a comment, something like, you know, do I have the Holy Spirit? Or I want more of the Holy Spirit? Or am I filled with the Holy Spirit? And I, they, they put it in that context. I want to leave you with a, a little bit different question today, and that is this. Does the Spirit have me? Not do I have the Spirit. You do have the Spirit. The Spirit dwells in you. Does the Spirit have me? That's really the question of filling. If the Spirit does not have me, I can't look Jesus in the eyes today and say, I am filled. The Spirit has to have you. Let's talk to God right now. Father, we know your Spirit lives in us. But your Spirit doesn't necessarily fill us. You want us to live a life of fullness, a life that is complete in you. And you've made clear from your word, it's not hard to do. It really comes down to our our willingness, our rebellion, not wanting to live for you, straddling a fence. 
I pray that there will come a day either today, later today, or in the next week, or sometime very soon, that we would be able to look you in the eyes and say, I am filled. But it's not going to just happen. And so today we look to you to provide the filling that only you can do as we do what you ask for us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. So every once in a while, God provides an object lesson, and we don't have to be creative. We walked in this morning, and um, there weren't very many communion cups. Let's put it this way. There were few enough that we would have had to share, and everybody went, ew. So we're not going to have communion this morning. We're going to sing, but we're not going to have communion. And as we do, I hope this is what will happen to you. I hope you'll say something's missing today. Just doesn't feel right. Something's missing. And as you have that something's missing experience with communion, you may say, something's missing in my life. The Spirit's there, but He's not in control. And what a great song to talk about fullness when we sing of being sweetly broken. Let's stand together and sing this song. and weak not exactly great resume words wouldn't want to sit in a job interview today and say my two greatest attributes are that I am very weak and completely broken we like to put on the front of wholeness we like to pretend that we've got it all under control and we know that that is the opposite of what it takes to be filled by your spirit And so today I pray that we would be more proud of our weakness, that we would boast in our weakness, as Paul says in the Bible. I pray that we would find our brokenness to be our source of strength, not our source of frustration. We pray this in the name of Jesus who loves us. Amen. You can have a seat. As you do, I'd like you to go ahead and get your card, the one that you just uh, checked that box on. Uh, Get that in your hand and would you... Place that in the offering here in just a moment. Our servers are coming right now. They'll collect the offering as well as your cards. Um, on the front of your folder today, there are a couple of things that you really want to be in tune with. We, believe it or not, are not just a few weeks away from the 4th of July, but we're a few weeks away from Easter. Yeah, it's not even April yet. I know, you're sitting here this morning fanning yourself. They don't know in Georgia today that we need air conditioning, okay? And I guess that's where they control it from. So anyway... Um, Ugh. Yeah, it's been, it's been it, the whole weather thing's been kind of fun. So keep your brain in the right place. We're just a few weeks away from Easter. Make sure you invite a friend to that Sunday. And we're also going to be doing a, a Good Friday experience over at the warehouse on the evening of Good Friday, the 6th of April. Uh, we'll be getting details to you on the time or whatever, but chance to be able to spend some time in, in quiet reflection over the sin that we, for, we have uh, committed that caused the separation between us and God. So the other thing I want to remind you of is that uh, every week we get this great opportunity to set up and tear down this place. You know, sometimes people look at a portable church experience and they say, wow, it must be a pain to set up and tear down all the time. And I say, well, not as much of a pain as it used to be to wax floors, clean toilets, mow grass, and all the other stuff that was involved in maintaining a building. There's always something to do. 
Uh, this is a, an area of service that you can jump in any week. You can come in and help with setup or tear down. And, and here's the really cool part. If you want to learn more about that, guy sitting at the, at the keyboard right over here. This is Steve. Wave, Steve. So everybody see Steve? Steve would be glad to talk to you about how you get involved one time or, or you could sign up for the rest of your life in order to be involved. No, he doesn't do that to you. But uh, there's a place on, on the card. It'll be there all the time for you to check off and say, I'd love to be involved in setup and teardown. So uh, talk to Steve today. One of the reasons we raise that is obviously we always have that need. But next week in particular, Steve's going to be in Florida. Justin's going to be on a retreat. Uh, I'll be here. So anyway... <laughs> If you don't have a chair, you know why. We're going to stand up, and we're going to sing our way out. Sing with a smile. This is going to be your earworm. It's going to be with you all week long. Let's go. Words like this come from people who are filled. You might feel like you're not right there just yet. There's time for that, though. This is where you're headed.